God says that the king of the people of Basham will be given to Israel and they will be defeated. That's interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible today. We look at Deuteronomy chapter three. We're gonna study this in about three minutes. You know, it really is interesting how God has revealed to the people what he's going to do. And they could move in that. So that's gonna be something. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. The first few chapters of Deuteronomy go back over some of the not so good aspects of Israel's history. So we're going to too. Ryan? Well, today I'm gonna to be exploring just how important the Arnon River was and is not just to humans, but to all forms of life. All right, very good. Look forward to that. Janice? Well, it's Friday. So we have our Friday wrap up question. I'm gonna put Ryan and Corey on the spot and you can answer too at home. I'm gonna ask a question anywhere between Numbers chapter 17 and Deuteronomy chapter three. Deuteronomy 3, 1 through 10. Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Hezbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did to Sion, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Mount Hermon Sirion and the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salca and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We are finished with the book of Numbers and we come to Deuteronomy chapter 3. I think that's very interesting. When I did a youth program several years ago, it was called Mad Friday, Made and Designed for Duty. And uh, I, I said, you know, we're going to, we, I did 10 minute uh, devotionals because the kids couldn't, they were about 100 kids, and the kids couldn't stay focused for more than about eight minutes. So I would do a 10 minute devotional in an hour and a half program. But um, it was really interesting because a, a little girl came up to me and she was always messing up Leviticus and messing up Deuteronomy. And she said, are we gonna read uh, Ronima Duty? And I said, yes, Deuteronomy, yes, Deuteronomy. And she says, is that like Leviticus? I said, Leviticus. <laughs> 
Very, very interesting. And as we focus on this today, we look at this and I want to invite you to take your Bible guide and turn to it. But Deuteronomy 1 to 3, in today's reading, for example, we see some brutal history that displays how much God had blessed Israel before they even entered the promised land. The people around Israel were threatened. They were threatened by hostile Israel's presence, seizing the opportunity to defeat this landless group. The people of Bashan set themselves up in opposition to Israel and her God. But God was creating a future for Israel and a future for the Messiah to come and extend the kingdom of God to all who would have it. Judgment was coming to Bashan. God is always working even when it doesn't seem like it, even today. We need to see the future as God sees it. We need his eyes for the world around us. To do this, we need to carefully read and study the Bible. When we practice praying before and after we read, we are inviting God to help us and help our understanding and our ability to hear him. The Bible is filled with truth, even when that truth is somewhat difficult to hear. Interesting. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have one, I want to encourage you to write to us and grab one because that's very, very important. Uh, you can get it on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. If you go to it, you can download it exactly how we printed it. But uh, it's important to remember that. Now let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us his way and show us his path in Deuteronomy chapter three. Father, we're gonna read today. We're gonna read your law. We're gonna read Deuteronomy. And we pray that you would teach us your way and show us your path. I always say that because it's important, Lord, especially today in the midst of this, the world is just a mess, Father. So help us to be strong in it and help us to stand firm on the, on the seatings of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now let's look at Deuteronomy chapter three. This is an amazing book. It's after they've come to the place of wandering in the desert for many years. And Moses is writing. He says, then we turned and went up to the road of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us. He and all of his people to battle at Edri. And the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all of his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. God is very specific. God reveals to Moses that the king and the people of Bashan will be defeated. Now, beloved, when we come against something, we should pray first for God's help and direction. Let me explain this. Oftentimes, we face spiritual battle. We don't realize what's going on, so we pray. We, we, we feel the resistance, things go wrong, and we say, Lord, help us today. God shows us things, things that he's determined, and we are being fought by spirits. 
And we have to pray. And when we pray, God shows us and does work for us. Now, I look, I don't understand why God only works through prayer, but he does. And it teaches us to get our minds set on what God wants to do so that we can succeed and be victorious. That's very interesting. And that's exactly what God was showing them here. Now, there's one verse I want to highlight and look at this carefully. It's verse three. So the Lord, our God, also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people. And we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. God finished what the people of Bashan started. Now notice this. The people of Bashan started the fight. God finished it. We should never start an argument that is not ours. <laughs> I had a friend, a great friend growing up. He would always get himself involved in these things. And uh, I, I remember thinking, man, why, why are you doing, you know, don't, if you see somebody arguing, just leave it alone until they <laughs> invite you in. We don't need to get ourselves involved in fights that are not ours to have. That's a really important thing for believers in Jesus Christ to learn and understand that God will take us and we are to be involved where God wants us to be involved only. Otherwise, we are to observe how God watches that. Now, these are principles that we're learning from the law of God. Now, let's read on because this next one, beginning with verse four, is very interesting. It says, and we took all of his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. 60 cities. It's a lot of cities. And the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, the women, the children, every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidians call Hermon Siron, and the Amorites call it Sinir. All of the cities of the plain, all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Salkal, and Edria, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Which brings me to this point. God gave all the spoils of Bashan to the people of Israel. Now, as Christians, remember that God takes care of those who follow him. I just need to say that again. And I want you to hear me. God takes care of everybody who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. Right now in today's world, there is never a better time than to choose to follow Jesus Christ. If you are somebody on the internet, somebody on the phone, somebody on television, somebody on a network, wherever you are and you're watching this program, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner and I repent. I believe you died on the cross and gave your life and you rose again in the flesh. Help me today and be my Lord. Amen.
All right, so today we're going to go on an adventure to the Arnon River, which is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapters 2, 3, and 4, as well as other places in the Bible. And in this segment, I want to explore the geography of the Arnon to see how important it was and is not just to human beings, but also to a lot of different wildlife. And part of what makes this river so unique is its very high and low elevations. It starts up high in the Arabian Mountains and ends off at the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the Earth. Check it out. Since very ancient times, the River Arnon has played an important role as a territorial border. In fact, the Bible first mentions the Arnon as the boundary line between the Moabites and Ammonites, and would prove to be a key location for many years to come. This incredibly unique river system begins high up in the hills of northern Arabia before coursing westward down through a deep narrow gorge that eventually empties into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the earth at 410 meters below sea level. Since the Arnon is 900 meters above sea level at its highest point, this means that it has a variation in elevation of 1300 meters or 4300 feet. Also adding to its flow is a network of seven connecting tributaries, referred to as the Valleys of the Arnon in the Biblical narrative. Although this river has since dried up into a wadi, now called the Wadi Mujib, the ancient importance of the river and of the towns in its vicinity is attested by the numerous ruins of bridges, forts, and buildings found upon or near it. Its forts are alluded to by Isaiah, and its heights, crowned with the castles of chiefs, were also celebrated in Numbers 21-28. Military campaigns in the wadis of the Arnon also form part of the subject matter of the now-lost Book of the Wars of the Lord, and there's even remains of an old Roman road and bridge. But the Arnon hasn't only been a hotspot for humans, it's also home to large amounts of wildlife. Because of its extreme changes in elevation, combined with the valley's year-round water flow from its seven tributaries, the Arnon enjoys a magnificent biodiversity that is still being explored and documented to this day. So far, over 300 species of plants, 10 species of carnivores, and numerous species of permanent and migratory birds have been recorded. Furthermore, some of the remote mountain and valley areas are difficult to reach and thus offer safe havens for rare species of cats, goats, and other mountain animals, such as the striped hyena, the Syrian wolf, the Caracal mountain cat, and one of the most endangered animals of the Arnon, the Nubian ibex, which is a large mountain goat that became threatened as a result of overhunting. And despite the fact that the surrounding geography is mostly desert, the slopes of the mountainous land are very sparsely vegetated, with a steppe-type vegetation on plateaus. The less severe slopes are actually used by shepherds for the grazing of sheep and goats. Furthermore, groundwater seepage does occur in places along the Dead Sea shore, such as at the hot springs of Zara, which support a luxuriant thicket of acacia, tamarics, phoenix, and nerium, as well as a small marsh. Truly, the Arnon has been and continues to be an important place on planet Earth. So as you can see, the Arnon has been and remains to be a very important place. And although it's dried up some since then, it's still an impressive sight even today. And my point today is simply this. The Bible isn't a book of fiction, as some suppose. It records real events, real people, and real places, and that fact helps to substantiate its claim that it is the very Word of God. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Test it for yourself. 
And you know, it's critically important because if the Bible is real and true, then it can't be ignored. Why? Well, because of the internal implications. The Bible says that without the repentance of sins and without putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we will be eternally condemned. For the sake of our souls, shouldn't that be an investigation that we make post-haste? Yeah, we really should quickly. And I think that's important right now. But you know, the Bible is something that we need to consider as real. It was here long before the United States of America, long before Britain, long before any nation, long before China, actually. Uh, so it, we, we need to pay attention to what it says. It really, really is important. Thank you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Corey? All right. Well, we see Deuteronomy 1 to 3 recapping some of the wilderness wandering period and the, and the, the rebellion of Israel that Deuteronomy chooses to highlight is really the main one. It's the bad one when they are about for all intents and purposes, God has told them, go into the promised land and send your spies and the spies come back and they give them a bad report. God says, go. Israel says, no. It's, it's the bad one. It's the one that, um, meant that the whole generation of Israelites, the fighting men, that age was not going to be able to go into the promised land, but they would have to spend the rest of their life in the wilderness, uh, traveling around. I want to focus on the original rebellion, though, because there was a few, wasn't there? The original big bad rebellion, uh, the golden calf. Take a look. Two major instances of idolatry in the Bible are directly connected with ancient Egypt. One occurred under the leadership of Aaron while Moses was delayed on Mount Sinai, and the other was initiated by Jeroboam after he successfully took control of a fragmented Israeli kingdom. These instances share the image of their idolatry, calves. Both took place during a vulnerable time of transition and so probably served to reassure and unify. So why cows? In the case of the golden calf incident during the days of Moses and Aaron, Israel had just escaped oppression in Egypt and had been traveling to the promised land, facing opposition and physical warfare on their way. They made a pit stop at Mount Sinai where Moses left them to go and receive instruction from God. When he didn't return, the people assumed him dead, themselves abandoned. They forced Aaron to make an idol for them to worship and inquire of for help. Why a calf? In the case of Jeroboam, who himself had just returned from taking refuge in Egypt, away from King Solomon, who had a price on his head, he was the king of a newly formed northern Israel. He had the allegiance of most of the tribes, but had lost the crown jewel of the nation, Solomon's Jerusalem temple. Jeroboam's answer was to set up two sacred areas within his territory so that the people would not travel back into his rival's dominion to worship or celebrate the feasts of the Lord. Again, Jeroboam's idols of choice were cows. While the full meaning of the golden cows may not be ascertainable, the connection with Egypt is likely not a coincidence. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a few deities that utilized bull and cow imagery. They had a sacred bull cult dedicated to the life and death cycles of the god of the underworld, involving cycles of worshipping, then slaughtering living bulls. 
Even more widespread was their worship of the cow goddess Hathor. She was sometimes depicted as a full cow and sometimes as a human with a cow's head or ears. The cow was seen as life-giving. She sustained life through her milk. It was even said of some pharaohs that they were nursed by Hathor. This cow goddess empowered, sustained, and imparted divinity to the king's rule. Due to Hathor's nature as a goddess of provision, it seems a natural possibility that in Israel's time of need, they turned to a familiar cult to rescue them, without a leader, in hostile territory, with vulnerable families. Likewise, Jeroboam needing to unify his people even further likely reached into his pop culture to provide an alternative. Justification for his apostasy may even have been pillaged from the imagery of the temple itself. The temple's bronze basin sat on 12 bronze bulls. These bulls were not symbols of God, but their association with the temple, strength, and even the 12 tribes could have paved the way towards cultural justification. One of the things for me that comes out of really focusing in um, historically and culturally on some of the issues surrounding these rebellions is that it really humanizes the choice for me and makes it less of a, wow, I can't believe you did that, and more of a, oh, I can almost see myself doing that. And and at, at that point, I'm able to, I think, I hope, learn from ancient Israel's experiences and and apply that to my own life so that I'm not repeating some of their mistakes. I mean, when you humanize some of these issues and really take your time to try to understand them, uh, it becomes more relatable and I think more useful as well. I hope it's helpful to you. Yeah, that's really important to to look at Israel and you see what how they react and what they do. Yeah. And you, you think to yourself, wow, I, I did that and I shouldn't do that. And yeah. I should really think about that. And that's something that we need to do, especially in this year, which is an election year in the United States. We need to repent. We need to come to Jesus Christ and we need to say, Lord, we have done some things wrong. Forgive us and help us. And that's really, really important. It's not about a political party. It's about understanding who God is and bringing ourselves to him. That's very important. All right. Well, Janice, we are ready for the Bible IQ question. All right. And maybe just before that, because we do have a couple of minutes, Corey, you and your husband, Matlock, do a weekend edition, and we have some new viewers that will want to know about that. Sure. Okay, so the Bible Discoveries, the weekend show is available on my YouTube channel, uh, which is my name, Corey Babechko. So you can go on there and search my name and you should be able to find us. It's not the same format of this show, but what it does is it looks at the whole weekly reading, what you were assigned to read, and we pull out big issues and topics and uh, viewer questions from that script and we aim to talk about them and answer them as well. So it's, we have a lot of fun with it. We, uh, we release it every Friday so that you can watch it at your own leisure over the weekend. So if you're interested in that, feel free to check it out. Yeah, I like, I like Matlock does a great job. Yeah. He's, he's awesome in that. And you do a great, fantastic job, Corey. Thanks. And every uh, now and again, we all join you. Every, every now once and again. in a while. I know. <laughs> We're actually about to book another one soon. So it's going to well, be good. Very good. It's going to be good. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. Corey Babetchko's <laughs> channel on YouTube. Corey Babetchko on, hey, how in the world do you spell Babetchko? It'll be on the, it's on the screen. Brandon's got it. Our editor's got a thing. He's got it. Okay. It's on yeah. the screen below me here. So there you go. Anyway, okay. go ahead with the Today, question. Today... We have a two-parter question. 
All right. So here's the first part of the question. Okay. The two, two parts today and for you at home. How many daughters did Zelophehad have? Did he have four, five, or six daughters? How many daughters did Zelophehad have? And I believe we just spoke about him on yesterday's program and his daughters. Yes. So I just want you to know I'm being quiet. Oh, very good. Very, very good. Very yeah. good. That's a bit all of right. a tricky question, actually. Mm-hmm. It is. The numbers are all close. I yeah. think the answer is six. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I think that it's six too. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah. All right. What about you at home? Well, I think in 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 months and months and months and months, this is the very first time where you have. <gasps> it's five. Missed it. No, it's I was like, it's five, five or six. It is. It's <laughs> five daughters, which you know, a lot of times I think four. Okay. Until yeah, I actually go back. And I always it. think five or six. So and it's I a with very the tricky. It's a very but tricky. Those tricky questions. Yeah, I think without me here, Ryan would have got it because yeah. he was like five, right? And I was like, or I six. It was my gut. Or six. It, my gut said five, and then yes. she said six, and. So, we went with mine, but yeah. for yes. for everyone out there, I think you would have gotten it right if not. So well, the question is, okay. did you get it right? That's okay because <laughs> now we're going to take it one step further. So oh. now that we know that he had five daughters, fifty seconds. This verse gives their names. Yes. Now I've listed four. Who's missing? Okay. So we have Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milkla, and Noah. Yes. Comfort, Noah. <laughs> she said it. Yeah. Gotta redeem myself Very here somehow. Because comfort, I was about to give you choices. <laughs> oh. Is it Miriam? Is it Noah? Or is it Jahaz? Yeah, that's an easy, easy question. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead that's there. That's okay, you were so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, I know this one, guys. I know it. <laughs> five daughters. So five daughters, that's right. <sighs> Noah's one of them. Mala. Tirza, Hagla, Milka, and Noah. That's Numbers chapter 36, verse 11. If you want to check us out and make sure we're right, do that. I've been taking this time to thank everybody who has given to the ministry. I just, I do want to thank you. Your gifts mean a lot to us. And so we thank you because we can continue reading the word of God uh, to people. And uh, it's very, very important. So thank you for giving. Really appreciate it today. I want to pray for you. Father, I, I pray for everybody who's given to this ministry and pray for the partners. Touch them, Lord, and give them strength. Help us as we take your word and read it to the people in Jesus' name. Amen.